1: Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonico. Alyssa, how many blueies, blanchettes, and hemsworth
0: would it take for Australia to make up for the fact that it is responsible for Rupert Murdoch? Erin, I have to be honest, those people do nothing for me. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Australia owes us all a koala and new Uggs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This week, we're joined by Representative Lauren Necochea, Jennifer Romolini, and Megan Gailey to take on the following questions. Could this season of Succession have hoped for a better cross-promo with reality? How does a progressive lawmaker in a deep red state keep fighting the good fight? Has fandom of male movie stars gotten too horny? And how far can a fake British accent get you when you're on the run from the law? All this and more right now. All right, Alyssa, time for the news, a.k.a. exit interviews with hideous men. <laughs> H-T, it's been a week. Yeah, H.T. David Foster Wallace. Um, okay, so the head of NBC Universal was ousted on Sunday, which I was pretty sure was going to be the top media headline of the week, until Monday when it was announced that Tucker Carlson would no longer be hosting his primetime show on Fox News and... And that Don Lemon's 17-year reign of terror at CNN had also come to an end. Uh, and then on Tuesday, amid Disney layoffs, it was announced that 538 founder and loudly and frequently wrong statsman Nate Silver was parting ways with ABC. So, Alyssa, if the three of them, yeah. Tucker, Don... And Nate, were hired to co-host the View-style talk show called The Wrongest Bitches in the Game, where they sat on a comfortable-looking living room set and shouted bad opinions at each other. Would you watch?
0: Absolutely not, Erin. They deserve no more eyeballs. It is time for them to go learn how to paint. Go learn how to paint. (laughs) Go paint dogs, paint cats, paint—feed some fucking birds. Do something, but just—you got your chance— you used it. You threw it away. Time to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel I feel kind of the same way. Something. So the Tucker Carlson firing. Well, at first, it wasn't clear that it was a firing. It was an abrupt right. departure. But <laughs> as more reporting has come out, it's become pretty clear that it was not Tucker's decision. It seems no. that uh, reporting is indicating it was Rupert Murdoch's decision. Um, so, you know, he he seems to have gotten fired. I am super intrigued about the story behind all this. There's a lot yes. of there's a lot of rumors floating around. What's your favorite rumor about Tucker? Oh,
0: okay. My favorite rumor so far is that uh, Fox News, which Erin, you flagged this story for me. Fox News has like a dossier on Tucker in case he decides to come after them. That they have just a trove of uh, stories about tucker the misogyny on his set what a shithead he is more texts that we haven't seen i mean aaron it is it is delicious in so many ways a man who terrorized america and brought fox news to the top of cable it's now going to take fox news down
1: Right, yeah, I was. Um, I wrote a piece about Tucker leaving for the Daily Beast that was kind of like dancing on his grave. Um, yes, but you know something that that uh, I think Forbes pointed out was that with Tucker's exit from Fox News, there's like a fo- there's a Tucker-shaped hole in the Fox yes. News lineup, and that is seven hundred million dollars worth mm. of. Market share somehow. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where they arrived at that figure. It seems pretty big, but you know, it also is big as $787 million, which is what Fox News just settled uh, its Dominion lawsuit for last week. So Fox News's, uh, Fox Corporation's st- uh, uh, stock has just been tanking over the last few days um, over, you know, the loss of Tucker Carlson, one of their marquee personalities. Um, this settlement. And the fact that there are more lawsuits coming down the pike related to dis and misinformation in the wake of the 2020 election.
0: Um, Is this delicious or what? It's delicious. It's delicious. This is the arc of the moral universe bending towards justice right now, Erin. This is he literally has terrorized so many people and gone after so many people at any chance um, that... You know, also why should we fucking feel sorry for him? He's so fucking rich. I don't feel sorry like he for, is. Well, I mean, maybe so not so rich. No, no, maybe not for long. But, but to me, it's like you know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Yeah, I mean, I was,
1: I didn't watch this on purpose. It was pointed out to me. Um, but Bill O'Reilly, who again, I would never. Oh, I watched this too. Yeah, yeah, I watched this too. He, he kind of has, he more than most people outside of Fox would have insight into what could possibly be going on and he indicated that there's he believes for one reason or another that there is information about tucker that has yet to come out or a role Mm. that tucker is about to play in a lawsuit that hasn't become publicly available knowledge yet that is such a liability for fox that they had to get rid of it was like if he would have stayed it would have cost them more than just getting rid of him, which I think is really intriguing. I think there's a lawsuit by Smartmatic coming up. Yep. Um, What what, what did you want to add, Alyssa?
0: No, Smartmatic. No, I was just going to say that the – interesting thing about all of this that I read in one of the business magazines was that Tucker for Fox, it'll be interesting to see what him leaving actually does do to Fox because they were saying that because his audience is so old and white, that from an advertising perspective, it's he himself was not, his audience is not that big a draw for advertisers, but it's that they, they can't tell and they won't know for a while if he was actually what was driving cable subscriptions to watch Fox cable, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cable subs. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see if actually him leaving does Hurt Fox that much? Mm. I don't know. We'll see. That'll, we'll see. That'll be. You know what happens when I start reading the the business rags. Yeah, we get bored. Everybody
1: gets bored. <laughs> get. That's that's bore. That's boring journalism. Until it's not. Until it's exciting. Uh, until it's um, so Don Lemon leaving CNN. I think that we cannot emphasize enough the fact that this person was not a pleasant person to work with for many, mostly female colleagues. Yeah. Um, uh, we found out right – literally hours after it was announced that Tucker and Fox were parting ways that um, Lemon had been informed that he was being cut by CNN by his agent. Agent! He wrote – He wrote in a screenshot that he posted to Twitter. After 17 years at CNN, I would have thought that someone in management would have had the decency to tell me directly. At no time was I ever given any indication that I would not be able to continue to do the work – that I've loved at the network. It is clear that there are some larger issues at play. With that said, I want to thank my colleagues and the many teams I have worked with for an incredible run. You know who I want to talk to? Who? I want to talk to Soledad O'Brien. Just, I, I want to talk to
0: Caitlin Collins.
1: <laughs> I also want to talk to um, to uh, yeah any one of his like female colleagues or people who have worked right? with him.
0: Wasn't his first beef with Nancy Grace? <laughs> yes, he did. Oh my god, I want to talk to Nancy Grace. We want to talk to Nancy Grace. Nancy. So apparently, when she has been asked about him, she has. Demure. She has
1: had no comments, yeah. She's yes. demure. The, there was a piece that ran, I want to say a month and a half ago. I mean, what is time? It could have been a month ago. It could have been four Whatever. months. Whatever. It could be yesterday. A, Who knows? a long piece on Don Lemon's uh, general. Yep. I, and when I say reign of terror, I was like halfway joking. But truly, for some people that he was working with, he was deeply, deeply unpleasant. And he kept getting chances from management at CNN, which must have yep. been very frustrating. Um, I, I, you know, Nancy Grace. A person close to Nancy Grace was quoted in the piece, but Nancy Grace herself declined to comment. But Soledad, DGAF, she was just like, (laughs) "Uh, yeah, fuck that guy. (laughs) I mean,
0: she didn't say fuck that guy, but that was the gist of what she said. This, I mean, look, over the years, I have actually randomly watched a lot of Don Lemon, and I was uh, an active watcher, uh, am an active watcher of The Morning Show. Like, look, back in the day when Don Lemon did his nighttime show and he signed on once and said, this is CNN tonight. I'm Don Lemon. The president of the United States is racist. And a lot of us already knew that. I appreciated that someone was saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. But like watching the morning show, I was like at first I'm like, they should just not have him on in the morning. I don't think he can handle being a morning person because he would just go bonkers. But at the same time, CNN is like refusing to admit that they've known this shit for a long time. And they're pointing to a bunch of recent interviews that he did being like, oh, this was the straw that broke the camel's back when he was interviewing some uh, the one of the guys who's running in the GOP primary who was explaining to Don Lemon the black experience. And I was like, yo, you just baited Don Lemon. This is going to go south so fast. Mm -hmm. And it did. But like, don't give me a break. That's not I watched that interview and I was like, "Are they trying to get Don Lemon to implode so they can fire him?" And then, like a week later, he was fired. Mm -hmm. Aaron, what if I was a witch? What if I was a witch when I was watching that? Pretty much established that you are. I Um, mean, like I'm a morning TV witch.
1: (laughs) You're a morning TV. You got all the you got the cats for it. You got I got the cats and the fleeces. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that that's a good point because a lot of stuff that Don Lemon said on air is stuff that like, I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's a yeah. cor- that's a correct statement. Seems but right. You can't just run around like r- remember like the pe- in, in the piece about him being just like a, a wild guy to work with. Um, he, yeah. He like set up an anonymous email account to th- and like left. anonymous. He had a notes. burner phone Yeah, like <gasps> threatening coworkers yes. because he was upset about them getting getting assignments that he wanted and he just, yes, was, he was really look, look, you can, you can have extremely correct opinions, but if you're a pain in the ass to work with, or you're scary to work with, like get out,
0: No one needs you. Extremely good opinions don't negate extremely bad behavior. Yeah. I mean, ask Andrew Cuomo,
1: who only had middlingly good opinions sometimes. Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo. That's true. Both of them. Both of them. Although I will say, you know, when I was doing a lot of CNN, HLN stuff Mm -hmm. like four years ago now, um, Chris Cuomo was always very, very nice, although a bit of a himbo. And Don (laughs) Lemon was always kind to me, but not other people that I knew. Um, So, Mm -hmm, like, you mm -hmm. know, I I, I just, like, have memories of Chris Cuomo, like, sauntering into hair and makeup. Like, he was a politician being like hey everybody good night good night everybody and people were like okay (laughs) that's fine you can come and say like you know Anderson Cooper would be in there getting his makeup done and just kind of like roll his eyes very (laughs) subtly (laughs) because he uh preferred silence anyway um okay uh the Nate Silver thing I feel like a less a little less grave dancy about um, no it's like you know what you had a good run He's annoying on Twitter, but that doesn't mean that he should get fired. And I and I am worried about the state of the entertainment industry with like Disney making all these layoffs and so many layoffs. Yeah, and us kind of heading careening, if you will, toward a writers' strike uh, yep. on May first, which could uh, just letting everyone know, just hug your content. Now, look Close. it in the eyes and tell you tell it how much you love it, because there might be a content desert uh, starting yep. starting May 1st. If things don't get resolved with the WGA um, final thing, weird week for strange men. I'm not talking about President Joe Biden because he, he although he is a little he's quirky. He's got some quirks. He's got quirks. He doesn't want a quirk. We all have. Quirks. I think wanting to be the president is a quirk like there's something, i don't disagree there's something kind of wrong with you if you want to be the president like i terrible terrible come on terrible job sorry to the presidents that i like jimmy carter and barack obama <laughs> uh, and to an extent joe biden um but he is running for re-election he we're, is we're gonna see where that goes i honestly want to buy some of his dark branded merch It's cool.
0: It's pretty good. Uh, uh, Two thumbs up to the merch to the merch team. It's
1: legitimately cool. I think I'm probably going to as soon as we get done recording, get me a t shirt of Dark Brandon. Um, No, the strange man I was talking about is Elon Musk.
0: Not Aaron. So confusing. So confusing. What is wrong with him? He like he I think like Don Lemon has no impulse control. Yeah. Uh. Well. Also weird. Yeah. Like, did he get? Hit on the head a lot. Like, his. is there like a frontal lobe issue? Like, How do you say his child's name if you
1: refer to the child? Elon Musk's kid. I I don't know. Copy that. Just wanted to make sure. Unpronounceable. So it was revealed this week that Elon Musk has been tweeting as his two-year-old son. So weird. Uh, His last tweet, dated Monday, said, I will finally turn three on May 4th. The reason that we know this isn't because Musk was like, hey, guess what? I'm pretending to be my, my two-year-old son. Um, no. The Twitter owner shared a screen cap of his profile on Monday, which showed that he had an alternative uh, alternative account on the top right-hand side of the app. And the profile picture was matched to this account of an adult tweeting as a two-year-old child. Very, very weird. Um, also, the SpaceX launch didn't go great. People were saying— no. People are Yikes. saying it's like a miracle that, oh, it's so wonderful that it flew as far as it did. But, yeah, like there was debris that shot out in Everywhere. all
0: directions. Yeah. I mean, Aaron, it was nothing but a succession-y week. It's like the Roy's are going down. The spaceship is blowing up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could they have hoped for a better set of real-life events to serve as cross-promotion? Literally the season? greatest... The greatest cross-promotion <laughs> trick stunt of all time oh my god i i had an a horrible idea when i was like cooking yesterday which was like what if the writers of succession tried to end the series with the same spirit that the writers of game of thrones ended the series like the worst possible way <laughs> <laughs> i think it would end with like tom and shiv getting in a car accident and then like and, and my husband Josh pointed out, like, and then there would be like no comment and no time for us to handle it, and then there would be like Logan Roy would come back from the dead and be like, "I was yes. just
0: faking, you know, it was just kidding. Yeah. I was kidding, yeah." You fucking pedes, you nosy pedestrians. Yeah. Come so back. consider that uh,
1: prompt food for thought for the rest of the day. What is the bad ending of Succession? Because um, you know that the writers aren't going to take us there. Okay, uh, that's all the time we have for news. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. We are going to talk to a Democrat in a red state who has been doing really important work when it comes to abortion access, especially in light of the Supreme Court's recent decision to keep an abortion pill on the market. So stick around. We'll be right back. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria. Let's start this part of the show with a clip that I think sums up the way a lot of red
2: state progressives feel. Family is everything. And so that's why I'm so torn today, um, because my parents have done so much for me. I need to be here. I need to be here for them as they age, um, when they age. I don't think they'd admit that they're aging yet. Um, But I also want to be close to my children as they grow up and become adults. And I want to be there if, God willing, I get to have grandkids someday. And um, I think my mom would say that she paid it forward, all that she and my dad did for us, and I want to do that for my grandkids. But I can't encourage my two daughters to settle in Idaho with the laws we have on the books. Um, I would be terrified to have my daughters try to carry a pregnancy here. Uh, This is not a safe place to be pregnant. I think the statute is tearing families apart and is pushing our OB-GYNs out of state. And this bill does nothing to change that. The
1: voice you just heard is our guest today. She is a member of the Idaho House of Representatives and the chair of the Idaho Democratic Party. Welcome to Hysteria, Representative Lauren Necochea.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So Representative, you went viral earlier this month after taking the House floor and talking about the impact anti-abortion laws have had on you and your family. For listeners who may not be familiar, tell us what prompted you to speak. What is your message to the legislature and by extension to the people of Idaho?
2: I don't think our legislators understand or are willing to acknowledge the impact of the laws they've put on the books. And you know. They, sometimes it feels like their brains leave their bodies when an abortion bill comes up, all critical thinking stops, and they all get in lockstep, and they all vote the same way, and there's just no recognition of what it, what it really means. And there are those of us like me who want full reproductive rights back, and I won't stop until, until we get that. Uh, but anyone who just cares about people being able to carry a pregnancy safely in the state of Idaho should be very concerned we are losing our, our OB-GYNs. We have already lost more than two-thirds of our maternal fetal medicine specialists in this state. They, they're the ones who deal with the most complicated pregnancies. Uh, so as we criminalize doctors, uh, it threatens all healthcare and the safety um, of, of every Idahoan. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm sure when you took the floor that day, you weren't like, I'm going to go viral. <laughs> um- what impact has your speech had on people and have you heard uh, from constituents about it?
2: Um, yeah, I've just heard, and you know, I've been talking about abortion for a long time in this state. For some reason, it's something they always have to talk about. And as one of my colleagues says, it's because you can't fundraise off of last year's abortion bill. So I've had four legislative sessions under my belt. We've always been debating abortion, even when we had the protections of Roe v. Wade. And over the years, a number of people have reached out and just told me their deeply personal stories that only reinforce the need for government to get out of the exam room. Um, but, you know, most recently, my husband came home from work and someone had approached him and said, oh, is your wife that, that legislator? We're having the same conversations in my family. You know, I have a daughter who's a young 20 something and it doesn't feel safe uh, for her to be here.
0: On Friday, the Supreme Court voted to keep the abortion pill, Mifiprestone available on a national level. What do you make of this decision? Do you think
2: Mifepristone is here to stay? I certainly hope so. It's so well needed. And we still have access problems in Idaho because our abortion laws are so extreme. I just heard from a hospital leader a few days ago that a woman was experiencing a miscarriage. She needed uh, She needed medication. Uh, to To complete that. And it was prescribed. She, the, she got over the hurdle of the doctor prescribing it, but then a pharmacy wouldn't fill that prescription because they were worried about legal action against the pharmacy. So the access problems continue. Um, the idea that a safe drug would be taken off the shelf by a far-right activist judge is terrifying. So I think we can breathe a sigh, somewhat a sigh of relief um, with the Supreme Court's decision. But in Idaho, we're still facing risks and delays in care and potentially denied care uh, that's absolutely necessary.
1: Mm-hmm. So the conservative legal strategy for the last several decades, especially when it comes to abortion, has been to kind of throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks, basically trying to pass all kinds of extremist, unconstitutional laws and see what the courts like won't strike down. So in that spirit, as somebody working in a deep red state, that is fertile ground for more spaghetti style legislation. What are you seeing as the next front in the battle over reproductive justice?
2: Yeah, well, it's surprising to see just how much of that really bad spaghetti is sticking. <laughs> I just feel like we have bad bad spaghetti all over us in Idaho. You know, what we still have the bounty law on the books, that was designed as a workaround around Roe v Wade. You can be a rapist family member and sue for for these bounties if the victim has an abortion. Uh, it was the Republicans said this was a clever workaround. They didn't repeal it, and that's the thing about the bad spaghetti. They never repeal it. It never comes back off. So we still have bounties that rapist family members can sue for These cash cash awards. Uh, the the other new piece of spaghetti they flung out at the wall this year um was trying to uh, create create a very clever travel ban um that doesn't read like a travel ban, but they've criminalized. Uh, transporting transporting a minor within the state of Idaho for the purpose of getting a lawful abortion out of state. And so we'll see we're waiting for that legal challenge to to get filed, and we'll see how that plays out. But you can imagine a seventeen year old uh, raped by a family member who might not be able to get that parental permission. Maybe the father is the perpetrator might not be able to get that uh, that parent to take them across the state to get uh, out of state to get a lawful abortion. So they're trying everything they can and every maneuver to kind of build a wall around our state and prevent people from, from accessing the abortion care they desperately need.
1: Um, so kind of expanding the spaghetti to continue this metaphor to include other ways that rights are being attacked. How else are Idaho conservatives attacking the rights of everybody who isn't a white cis male or a fetus?
2: So they also, this session, criminalized gender-affirming care for young people and just a really heartbreaking move. And this is is another way that people are going to have to leave the state to get their care and then they might not want to come back. And then we're going to have pediatricians who say, this is not how I want to operate. I don't want to serve patients in the state where a patient comes to me and I can't lawfully provide the care they need, care that's proven to reduce Anxiety, depression, and suicidality in our kids. Care that's been a lifeline for families where they, you know, saw their their kiddo, you know, struggle and then saw them return to being healthy and thriving with gender affirming care. So just they keep finding new ways to criminalize Medicare, our medical medical care, and it's just going to continue to push physicians out of our state, where we also where we already have the lowest physician per capita ratio in the nation. You
0: mentioned in the speech that we all just listened to a little bit of that you will encourage your daughters to leave the state as they get older because Idaho is no longer a safe place to be pregnant. We get that and totally understand it and people have to protect their health. But how do we protect the rights of people in places like Idaho whose rights are under attack but who don't have the resources to leave?
2: Right. Th- that's exactly right. And I think that the specific words I said is that I can't encourage my daughter, doll- my daughters to stay. And it's, you know, it's it's uh, um, just to, to be precise because I, I don't want to push them away. And wh- I think what you said underscores why I'm here and why I keep fighting because I, I can't, we can't I can't just roll over and let the, these extremist policies uh, stay stand without challenge because they they're, they're impacting even the people who don't vote or can't vote or um or don't realize what's what's really going on until it until it hits them personally or you know republicans who vote for these legislators that still are going to have gay transgender kids or they're gonna they're going to know someone or be the person who needs abortion care and so it's it's just we it ha- it's, it's and for me, I think it mostly comes down to kids. I was an advocate for kids um, in, a, in, a, in the nonprofit sector before I came into the legislature. And the kids aren't voting for these um, awful politicians passing these awful policies. And those kids still need protection. And so that's why I'm staying here uh, for for the time being. And also, as I said, to, take, to be there for my parents who did so much for me. Um, but it's a terrible, terrible position that these politicians are, are putting Idahoans in.
1: So how can listeners from places outside of Idaho help lend support to people like you, minority voices in deep red states?
2: Yeah. So I, I became a legislator not only because I wanted to pass good policies, but because I wanted to use it as a platform to elect better leaders. I spent so much time banging my head against the wall trying to get um, Idaho's legislators to make better decisions. And then I said, I want, I want to now help voters make better decisions to elect better leaders. And, you know, my other role is as chair of the Idaho Democratic Party, because we're the only ones fighting for these rights. And what it's going to take, and it's, we're clear-eyed right, about how long it's going to take, is it's electing more Democrats in Idaho. We're seen as a flyover state when it comes to, you know, national Democratic <laughs> priorities. And 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 what happens when when there's disinvestment in states like ours is that things get so horribly bad that people are literally going to die because of the policies. That, that these leaders are enacting. So donating to the Idaho Democratic Party, helping us elect more Democrats really will make a difference because they need the Republicans need to see some sort of um, ramifications for their behavior at the ballot box. Otherwise, they're going to feel emboldened and they're going to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall. What, the other piece of spaghetti they threw at the wall this session was to uh, punish and take away resources from any city or county that says they aren't going to uh, you know, fully investigate these, you know, potential abortions. And that's what they want. They want police knocking on your door, asking you about your miscarriage, asking you to show your medical, <laughs> you know, file. I mean, that, this is what they want because the city of Boise said they were not going to divert police resources towards pregnancy investigations. And so the legislature came in and passed a bill to, to try to punish any city that tries to do that. And you know they, they don't want to talk about. I got gavel down on that debate because they don't want to talk about pregnancy investigations because it sounds scary, sounds terrible. Um, but that's exactly the reality that they want, and they are answer only to the hardline, no abortion <laughs> whatsoever activists, and are and have l- stopped listening to reason and what their constituents actually want.
1: Ugh, man, I feel like you should at least be able to correctly label a like a diagram of the female reproductive anatomy at least be able to label it before you try to start like legislating it it is absolutely wild to me and also can you imagine if you've just suffered a miscarriage and a police officer wants you to talk to them about it yeah
0: absolutely not the very man who can't diagram your uterus
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's traumatic enough without having to relive it and defend yourself like you're a criminal or you might be a criminal because of something that happens every day to women everywhere. That is absolutely wild. Well, representative, before we let you go, we'd like to end on a lighter note. Uh, what gives you hope? Um
2: I think what what does give me hope is healing is hearing these stories from women who have been impacted and who are angry and knocking on doors and talking to you know, Republican women are, I had a libertarian on my list this last cycle who was, I think she wasn't thrilled about it, but she was voting Democrat <laughs> because we were the ones who are willing to restore her rights. So I think, I think we're waking up. I think it takes a little bit of a time because there is a little bit of cognitive dissonance. I don't think people understand just how bad it is and that the Idaho Republican Party platform um, would, uh, would uh, outlaw abortion even when it's necessary to save the patient's life. They had a that's 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 their extreme position. Um, they had an amendment to try to have a life, you know, an exception for, for the life of the patient that by about a two thirds vote, that amendment died to their platform. So getting people, I think people are slowly starting to wake up, but I think it's sad about just how much it's going to take. I think it's going to take legislators themselves having a daughter who can't get in to see an obstetric gynecologist at all because there's no availability. Um, so- not, not a super light note, but I, but I, but I do see young people waking up and getting more involved. And that's what gives me hope.
1: Well, thank you so much, representative Lauren. Thank Thank you for the work you do in Idaho. And thank you for that speech.
2: Oh, such an honor to be here and appreciate all that you do. Take care. Thank
0: you. Yeah. I have I refuse to be uncomfortable if I want to be productive. I refuse (laughs) to be uncomfortable, but sometimes
1: I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time.
0: Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, you probably
0: could.
1: your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy! Viore is offering Hysteria listeners twenty percent off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com/hysteria. That's v-u-o-r-i.com/hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over seventy-five dollars and free returns. Go to viore.com/hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back. And welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast that makes you want to reply to it as though you are in conversation with us. We know what you guys are doing. We know what you're doing when you're listening. <laughs> Alyssa, what is the female gaze? Have you ever thought about the female gaze? I don't really G-Z, have one, Aaron. I'm Not a, gays like
0: plural, gay oh, people. I mean, gays. I know what you meant. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. not that old. Okay. Okay. Um, I've thought about it. I, it changes from time to time. You know, it's gazy.
1: I mean, do you think it is the inverse of the sort of frequently unwelcome, often predatory male gaze? Or do you think it's something else entirely?
0: I think it's something else entirely. I don't okay. know. I, we, should, we should hear what other people say. You know, I'm a little shallow on this subject. Well, I am really excited to
1: talk about the female gaze as it it pertains to, I guess, like sexuality, horniness, horniness, if you will, uh, with the panel that we have assembled today. Our first panelist is a feminist writer, editor, and podcaster. She's the host of Stiffed, a new crooked series about the history of the erotic women's magazine Viva. Jennifer Romolini, welcome to Hysteria.
4: Thank you for having me. Hello.
1: So excited that you're here, rounding out the panel, horniness expert uh, <laughs> and comedian and the host of I Love a Lifetime movie and Megan Fun of
5: Sports, Megan Gailey. Welcome back. Hello. I'm not horny at 9.37 a.m. on a Wednesday, but give <laughs> give me the word and I'll get it there. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, I want to talk a little bit about Stiffed first. Um
1: So love and porn don't normally get mentioned in the same sentence, um, but your work investigating the history of feminist porn magazine, Viva, was a bit of a labor of love. Can you tell our listeners how it all started?
4: For sure. So I was working at Conde Nast women's magazines and the aughts, which were, um, let's say, not as feminist as you would (laughs) like them to be. Um, You know, a a lot of like self-esteem eroding word salads and things like that, and I I wrote a a column called eBay Obsessed, all about eBay shopping. And while I was in all of these eBay searches, I found came upon this magazine called Viva. And it was a magazine that was put out by Bob Guccione, but run and written by feminist journalists in the 70s. So I was really interested in the tension between those two things. Bob Guccione being this sort of sleazy machismo, at least that's what we think of him as, this sort of caricature of masculinity, and these women who wanted to do these very progressive, very you know, revolutionary stories about everything, you know, from abortion to sexual desire to you know, unionizing sex workers. And how did the two of them come together? And so I started collecting the magazines in the. 2000s and I eventually over the last 15 years have collected a complete set and I thought well this might make a podcast so I I tracked down all of the female reporters that I could all the women who worked there the editors the the people who worked in PR, I tracked on as many women as I could to tell this story because Bob Guccione is no longer with us. Um, And then had some excellent archival of him just being like, you know, sex is not dirty. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: like you can hear the hair on his chest like rubbing <laughs> against like the unbuttoned buttons of his silk shirt. Totally. Um, um, So, okay. So what was a typical issue like? Like what was on the cover? What, what did it, how did it look? What was it? What were the vibes?
4: <laughs> so the vibes were really interesting because it didn't make any sense, you know, and this is what <laughs> I needed to understand. like, so the vibe the the vibes the like cover is always like an orgasmic woman on the cover. like mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense for a women's magazine to to be honest. like, and then the inside is these really smart journalists writing really high end journalism. And as a matter of fact, like somebody just reached out to me the other day, one of the writers and was like, I wrote one of the first articles ever about the IUD. Do you have it? I'd love the clip. And I was like, yay. Right. So it's like super cool. They're doing work. They don't get to do anywhere else. Next to juxtaposed next to these clumsy, I can say Dick here, right? Okay. Okay. Just clumsy, Blacid bouncing dicks, like <laughs> the what men think women like talk about the female gaze. This is like the male gaze guessing at the female gaze, and it is fucking hilarious. It is like <laughs> It's like dicks at a rodeo, you know, dicks next to a stereo, a handstand dick. Like it's it's amazing. And a glitter dick. Like it's nothing you would ever be like, oh erotic. Never.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Was that meant to be like
4: ironic? Like, no, oh, God. <laughs> no, it was, they only hired male photographers and the men that they just had, they were like, well, I tried to think of what a lesbian would want. And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, given,
1: given that a colorful description. Megan, would you have subscribed to Viva or perhaps purchased one out of curiosity uh, from an airport newsstand? I think I would have
5: subscribed and and honestly been like, listen, I get it for the articles, um, <laughs> which is the argument for Playboy. But I'm like, I, I got to read this early piece about IUDs. I'm wondering really? if it was Viva because of like Viva Las Vegas, like even the even the naming. I'm sure you get into that.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, Viva, Bob Guccione was like a very proud Italian American. Like he loved his Italian American heritage and Viva means life in Italian. And so that's gotcha. why it is that, you know, but it, you know, look, it was also this, it, I love an ambitious failure. Like there's nothing I love more than that. And you could see that there was like so much creativity and effort and love put into this magazine. And I, I, just really wanted to resurrect this work because I knew that it had been forgotten. And I knew that anytime anyone had told this story, it was only centering the penis. It was only about these schlongs. And I wanted to center the women. And I felt like that was an important thing to do. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I I find the fact that Viva was such a spectacular failure. And it was spectacular, but it was a failure. Um, I find the fact that it was a failure kind of a little bit of a indicative of the way that an attempt to kind of capture the lightning in, in a of a, the female gaze in a bottle has always gone. Like, yeah. has there ever really been a successful piece of media put out that was aimed at the female gaze and consumed by women in the way that it was intended to be consumed?
4: I think that you know. I think we have to figure out what our definition of success is here, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, there are some. There's a really good niche publication called On Our Backs, which was a lesbian erotica magazine, and it is Mm. gorgeous, and it is sexy, and it is amazing. And it was in the 80s, and I think it went into the 90s, and it is a very cool magazine. And for what it was, and for the small like the the aspirations it had, it was highly successful. You think about the 80s; there was also Candida Royale, who's a feminist pornographer, but these are small, these are small enterprises because the funding is not there. Nobody's funding women to make porn for women.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, Megan, sorry to put you on the spot, but how would that, how would feminist porn look?
5: I, like if you were to try to imagine it. I mean, I, even as i was looking at the outline for this week i actually admittedly do not watch porn um yeah. because i find th- the men who are cast um to just uh, i guess not be my type i don't i or, or you know it's not even that because it's like uh, it's it's less about type but it, it's it truly doesn't feel like it's for me if i ever do watch yes. it and i am a straight woman married to a man i watch girl on girl because I find the sensuality to be better and I find them to be, it's more, it's less about like thrusting and more about like massaging. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Even I have a joke about going to Magic Mike Live and they start the show by being like, we know what women really want and then it's 90 minutes of things women would never want. (laughs) (laughs) Like they have it rain on a woman and I'm like, no, she got a blowout. Like women despise moisture. (laughs) Like we need like fucking in a Nancy
4: Myers kitchen. Yeah, like nobody <laughs> understands the aesthetic. Yes,
5: like, yeah, because like Fifty Shades of Grey is, it you know was a. Quote unquote success, I read them because I go, I gotta see what this is. Like, <laughs> you're, cause you're fascinated and you go, this is an actual nightmare. Like, the mm-hmm. thing is described. And, and, and when you hear sort of like the hack jokes of like women's porn would just be being listened to. Um, but, but there is like, there is something and it's just not there for us yet. And and please feel free to send me suggestions because my my Google search is, is not that deep, but I, I really don't <laughs> think I've found what what makes me tick for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. It seems like in the absence of there being actual like sexual content made involving like depictions of straight sexual interaction that is actually exciting to most women, but I think that's like a fair thing to say. Some women like it, fine, no judgment, whatever, your thing is your thing. But I think overall, porn is definitely made for men. And so the female gaze in our culture, it seems sort of, I mean, it's sort of like trains itself on like male celebrities in contexts that aren't necessarily pornographic. And I kind of wanted to get into that today. There was an article that came out in British GQ like a month ago. And it was about uh, the uh, – it was about like horniness directed at stars uh, like uh, Pedro Pascal, who is um, the the star of The Last of Us, um, and how so many uh, – it, it's become like kind of uncomfortable to watch – like female horniness be thrown at somebody like him. And Alyssa, this is like kind of what made me think about I swear to god this is going to make sense. But I remember when when Barack Obama was president, <laughs> there was some like horniness, so much horniness. Him. And I wonder how, you know, when you were working for him, did you see him become
0: uncomfortable encountering like horniness from women? Okay, so this is the funniest. I love it because everyone knows I'm the least horny person on the planet, and so when we talk about horny things, I'm like, okay, let's see what Aaron asks me this week. Um, <laughs> hey, this one worked. This though. was this a great. So this was great. I didn't even have to get into how I think pornography is a cartoon. Um, <laughs> but you guys, so here's an interesting thing that not even Aaron knows. When people talk about uh, how Barack Obama had more threats against him than any other president. A lot of those threats, since we had Facebook, other presidents didn't, you know, people could do things online. A lot of the threats were women being like, I want to fuck him.
5: Wow. <laughs> oh. Really? Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes, oh. they were like... And so the Secret Service
1: investigated people for being threat. criminally
4: no. horny.
0: They didn't. They didn't. It's just that any action that someone directs against the president is kind of categorized as a threat. Yeah. And wanting to do him is one of them. And So we were actually having a meeting once where we were going over the threat assessment. And I was like, I wanted to embarrass the Secret Service agent in charge. And I was like, why don't you explain the threats? Like, break them down. (laughs) Break down the threats. (laughs) So it, but it was, but there were, there were like women who would just absolutely, it was like Beatles vibes. Like people Mm -hmm. would just like lose their shit when they'd see him in person. And I would just be like, I don't think you're that hot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's good. You probably don't want to think your your male boss is is hot. No, but it was like, like they there would be pictures of him in a, like Intouch magazine when he'd be in Hawaii without his shirt mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, "You're ruining my magazines!" Like, I mm-hmm. and I will open up. I see you without a shirt on. Jesus Christ! And he's like, "Well, <laughs> I can't help it unless I'm hot." <laughs> um. So, like, I mean that, that that's true. Like, it is sometimes unwelcome. Just like
1: the male gaze is sometimes unwelcome. Megan, I wonder, like. Have you witnessed a sort of, like, over-the-top aggressive sexuality aimed at, like, male celebrities who aren't maybe necessarily setting out to be,
5: like, sexy? Yeah, I do think it happens in sports a lot, and that's really my (laughs) wheelhouse. Uh, There's- a quarterback named Jimmy Garoppolo and he's Mm -hmm. just classically a hunk and it's rumored he was Tom Brady's backup and it's rumored that Brady had him moved out of New England because he was hotter than him um
0: and (laughs) I love I hope that's true yes I hope that's true too Uh, and
5: so there was um he was recently uh picked up by the Raiders and so you see him and like this is just he's um, he's just hot. Like you know, you just see him, you go, oh, that's a ten. That's not like he dates porn stars. Like he just like knows he is. And a, a Raiders fan, like a man, was yelling, like, "I love you, Jimmy! So happy you're in Vegas! You're a very handsome man!" And, and Jimmy just shook his head and goes, "I don't, I don't know what to say to that." And it's like, dude, he must have been hearing this for the last ten years. Like he's been hot for a while, and you could tell he still was. <laughs> uncomfortable and I've seen him be less so uncomfortable when like cheerleaders come up and do it to him but he he is not even a movie star he just is a NFL quarterback and I do think there is and you see it a lot when they're on the late night shows, the late night hosts, they're the worst offenders of this, of just like, so everybody thinks you're hot. Tell us about that. And and <laughs> it's obviously way different than what, what is done to women. Um, because as you said, there is less of the predatoriness and being like, oh, do I need to be afraid that David Letterman's going to reach up my skirt after this? Um, <laughs> but- well, well, but, but in that they,
4: there is less of
5: that, but I
4: don't know if that's, I mean, th- that's like, you know, a straight man talking to a straight man, like, I don't know. I was seeing examples of like men who are now like taking pictures, like celebrities that male celebrities that were objectifying who are getting pictures taken with women and women are grabbing their asses yeah. just like yeah. women have had men. Gra- you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if if normalizing this objectification of men is doing any of us any favors you know i don't i i wonder if it's if it's as problematic i hate to say it no. cuz i think pedro Pascal is really hot and like <laughs> i like looking at his butt but like i feel like it's I feel like it's bad. I feel like it's not. It's it's as bad either
5: way. I do think it is bad. I think there is like if if it gets to the extreme though, I'm like Pedro Pascal could take me, you know. So it's like that that fear of of injury or violence yeah. is, is yeah. skewed because yeah, he he fights zombies, so I know he could fight a woman from the Midwest. <laughs> right. right. Well,
1: I mean, it has in in some celebrities' cases um, become something that has uh, male celebrities. It's become something that has. Um, Made their lives very difficult. Like I think specifically of D'Angelo, the singer, um, mm-hmm. when oh, yeah. he came out with how you know how, how does yeah. it feel? He was like <laughs> extremes. Everybody remembers that video. Yeah. It was formative for every straight woman right. born between the eight, the years nineteen seventy and nineteen ninety five. It was like he was just—he's a very good-looking guy, but um, he left music. Not long after one of his albums, and he didn't come back for a really long time and he gained a ton of weight. And he did this interview like years later before his his follow-up album came out. And he talked about how aggressive the fans were with him and how they just like didn't respect him as a human. And I think sometimes that maybe we're fed this idea that yes, like, yeah, you know, D'Angelo could probably, you know, beat me in an arm wrestling match or whatever. But he couldn't beat like a hundred women surrounding him. All of them trying to to grab at him. Yeah, Jennifer, you're you're true. nodding. I'd I'd love to hear more from you.
4: I just I I just feel like it's it's violating, right? And it's demeaning. And it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, it's demeaning to only be considered for your looks, you know, especially, and I think that we have this thing of like, well, you know, men, oh, ha ha, like it's laughable if they complain about it. They're not allowed to complain about it. And that is, that that, that just seems not fair to me or right. It's like, we know what it's like to be under that gaze, how violating it feels, how you feel so like unsafe, I imagine it feels that way for men, whether there's a physical threat for them or not. Mm-hmm. And I feel like accepting it for them and not for us is not going to make a better world for any of us. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, you're
1: you're nodding. I I think that one thing that all of us, as like you know, women who've spent time around straight guys have witnessed is like. A man actually experiencing that sort of objectification. So Alyssa, you saw your old, your former boss, President Barack Obama, experience it. Have you seen like that sort of happen to male friends? And has it disturbed them when they have been like objectified or, uh, or treated sort of the way that men treat women?
0: I mean, look, seeing as my closest friends are John Favreau and Dan Pfeiffer, no, I have yeah. never seen anyone try to attack them for being too hot. Um, but but no, I think it's more like the, old, the one example that comes to mind actually is David Pluff who was the campaign manager on the Obama campaign, who had been this rock star, right? He made Barack Obama president and people would go crazy when they saw him. And he was just like, I'm good. Thanks so much. Like, it it definitely, I felt like just that level of attention, even if it wasn't sexual attention, definitely sort of made him recoil. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Megan, how about you? Have you witnessed, like, straight guys kind of get a taste of their own medicine from women and, and be just, like, kind of bowled over by it? <sighs>
5: I... <sighs> I'm really reaching. <laughs> like, I'm really, like, I mean, I've definitely sent, seen men get a taste of their own medicine, and and liked the taste of the medicine. You know, like I I've seen that. I I've definitely seen. You know, it's like I'm around male comedians, and and we always say that like that that women get into comedy because they think they have something to say and men get into comedy so they can have sex with people. So it's like, and I, and that's an obvious generalization. Um, Uh and so it's like, I've, I've just seen, I've seen guys capitalize on it. I I know that I have, well, you know, Oh, gosh i hope uh, someone close to me I won't name who it is someone very close to me <laughs> a man was uh, very aggressively sexually harassed um at work actually by a subordinate um and so it and and he was so uncomfortable by it and and not just because he was married and and their boss but truly did not feel like there was anything he could do because he felt ashamed and embarrassed to even report that this was happening. And it wasn't even a need to report. Like, in his words, a whole office of people was hearing and seeing... And really laughing about it of like, right. oh, she's making jokes like, oh, like, even though he didn't want to reciprocate it, it was like, ah, that's that's got to make you feel good. And it actually did not make him feel feel good at all. So pour one out for that, homie.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that 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 brings us to a really important point because like you know even like mainstream pornography is is not really like ethical (laughs) um (laughs) it it, like in its current iteration i mean there are people who have really tried to to make it ethically but overall it's it's not very ethical um jennifer how what would viva look like if it were relaunched as like a media brand today probably wouldn't be a, a like paper magazine but how would it look and like What would the, like, content be? What would the photos be if it was going to be, like, a success?
4: I mean, look, I think that, you know, I don't know how old everybody is here, but I think, you know, we're all of a certain age. I think that the way generations after us, Gen Z, are thinking about sexuality and and gender identity and all of that is just so much more expansive. What I hope is that Viva would kind of get out of a binary, honestly. I think that what we're talking about is sort of the messiness in some ways of, of this gender binary. I think that, you know, I would like to see Viva be a magazine about sensuality and about sexual desire and a very cohesive magazine that talked openly about all kinds of desires The male gaze, the female gaze. I'd like to see, I'd like to see a publication or a media brand that is open and progressive about sexuality, period, that doesn't break us into two, that really talks about everybody's fantasies and everybody's desires and, you know, and is very sex positive and open because I think that there's so much shame around all of this. I mean, we can barely talk about porn. We can't really talk about it without making jokes. I blush all the time. And the women I interviewed in their 70s and 80s were still blushing oh, no. about talking about sex. They were so ashamed. They were like, oh, please cut that. Please, you know. Oh. <laughs> what I'd like to see Beba be of a and I don't know if this is what it would be, but is like a stylish, beautiful, like aesthetic highly aesthetic publication about sex and sexuality and sex positivity that we could all be learning from, because I think we all have a lot to learn still
5: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: that that's what, that's what I would hope for it. I have no idea what it would be because also kind of media is broken. Let's be
1: honest. <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody knows what they're doing uh, at all. Alyssa, what would it take for you to want to buy a magazine that purported to be a feminist take on sensuality? Like what kind of, content would need to
0: to appeal to somebody like you? I think we'll throw in a couple recipes, right? (laughs) One. Uh, Two, I was, you know, Jen, I have been listening to the podcast and I have to say, as I listen, I'm like, I think I would have bought Viva and I am not a horny person, but it is very, it's very interesting to me, the concept of like mixing and matching whatever they were trying to do back then in a way that is almost like, I feel like the way that Viva is described is also like, like you were saying, like the glitter dicks. It's cartoonish. You don't really yes. feel like it feels arm's length, I guess, yes. in a way to me. So Aaron, I'm telling you, I would have bought 1970 something Viva. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Megan, what sort of content would it
1: take for you to be interested in like a, like a reboot of a Viva type? magazine.
5: Well, you are asking someone who was in the November 2022 issue of Hustler this year. Yes. Um, (laughs) Where where I was interviewed and featured for talking openly about having an abortion. And they spotlighted four female comedians who spoke about having abortions. And When I was reached out to, I was like, oh, what do I have to spread? Like, I truly was like, why is Hustler contacting me? (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I I think it, and that's obviously less sensual of a topic, but, but articles that pertain to us, uh, yes, some recipes, some, (laughs) some some bras that are sexy and also comfortable like if there could be some tips in there I I tend to be probably yeah on the Charlotte end of like when when they told her to look at her vagina she was like what <laughs> like I didn't watch my birth like I do like a little mystery down there so if there was a way to, to open my eyes to even my my own vagina I would find that revolutionary because Because here at 37, I've yet to find that.
1: (laughs) Well, there you have it. Anybody listening who is resourced enough to relaunch a magazine (laughs) brand in the year of our Lord 2023, just treat it like an expensive pet, you know? (laughs) It's not gonna make you any money, but it's gonna, you know, people be amused. People will ask about it at the park. It'll keep Um, you company. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, Sanity Corner slash I feel petty. Time to get to Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty, a.k.a. Sani
4: Petty. Jennifer, do you want to lead us off? Yes, I do. Um, I feel so petty about this. I I love (laughs) this story so much. It is a terrible and also delightful and wonderful story. So there's this 35 year old American fugitive called Nicholas Rossi, who the terrible part of this is that he was accused of sexual assault in the United States and a bunch of other crimes. There were like many crimes like identity theft, whatever. He faked his own death and then he moved to Scotland and Dateline tracked him down. And there's an interview this weekend about him, and he is now pretending to be a British professor. He also is pretending to have a number of disabilities named Arthur Knight. And it is the most Mike Myers shit you've ever seen in your (laughs) life, okay? He's wearing an oxygen mask. He has a disguise. He is... I, I just need everybody to just watch this entire thing. He We're trying to extradite him, you know, and bring him back to the U.S. And in the middle of this interview, he's just appalled and outraged that they would suggest that he is actually Nic- Nicholas Rossi. When they've identified his tattoos, he's exactly the same man. But he's <laughs> like, oh, you don't understand how hard it is for me. It is um, it is amazing. And his British accent is even worse no. than that. So anyway, oh yes. Yeah. Nicholas oh. Rossi, like, Worst man, best man. Oh my god! Yes, like practically, I can picture like a
1: fake mustache. Yes, like one of those little like totally.
5: Yes, he's wearing a bow tie. Yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) This may be controversial. I think Dateline does great work. I mean, they (laughs) caught a lot of predators, and they they have put some husbands behind jail. Like there were a lot of unsolved cruise murders that I'm like, Dateline, (laughs) they got on those. That's
4: right. That's right.
1: Yeah, Dateline. I long live Dateline. Yep. You know, for for all of its its like somewhat flirting with trashy reputation. I God bless it. Um. Okay. So I got something I'm feeling petty about. So parents who are listening uh, are familiar with a person named Ms. Rachel. Ms. Rachel, for people who don't know who she is, is an angel sent down from heaven to. Just sing songs to little kids. She does these YouTube videos that are like straight to camera. She sings songs, she plays games, and I know that like you know screens are bad for kids or whatever, but we're living in reality. Miss Rachel's good. Miss Rachel. Uh Miss Rachel's (laughs) good. Miss Rachel's good. She teaches them to sing songs. She she taught Juniper the Wheels on the Bus. Yes, she's like Juniper. Like does the little you know thing. Anyway, Miss Rachel has this group of people that also help her sing songs and and teach songs to the littles. And one of them is, and Juniper's favorite is named Jules. And Jules is a non-binary singer performer. And they sing like the brush your teeth song. And they're so like enthusiastic and they've got such a good voice. But in recent weeks and months, Jules has been subject to online harassment simply for existing and being a part of Ms. Rachel's wonderful YouTube channel for kids. And I'm just going to say this. If you want to attack Jules, you're going to have to get through me first. This is a Jules house. I can't believe that anybody would ever attack somebody for simply existing and singing happy songs to children, which you can access for free on YouTube. Or if you don't like it, don't watch Ms. Rachel's channel. Raise your own
5: fucking kids then. Raise your your own
1: kids. They're going to be weirdos who grow up and when the other kids are like, I love Ms. Rachel, they're going to be like, what? I don't know who Ms. Rachel is. My parents are fascists. Jules Hoffman, non-binary performer on Ms. Rachel's channel, is an absolute treasure, just like all of the other performers. And I am just completely gobsmacked that anybody would take the time to go you know, take the time out of their day to harass a person who's just trying to sing songs to kids. It's not like Jules Hoffman is on Ms. Rachel's channel being like, hey, kids, everyone's non-binary. Let's all do it. They're just existing. And it just, it makes me furious. And I guess I read in this Washington Post piece about the harassment that a lot of these people harassing them don't even have kids. So, like, why do you fucking care? You know, it's, it's so... We are living in dark times, uh-huh. and I will defend Jules with whatever I can. These tiny, ineffectual white lady fists, I will I will fight for them. So that's what I'm feeling petty about this week. Do not harass Jules Hoffman. Jules is a treasure. That's what I'm feeling petty, petty
5: about. Okay,
1: um... You're a, you're a, um, Megan, you're a Ms. Rachel House. Oh,
5: big time Miss Rachel House. And yesterday uh, Conrad was freaking out in the car and we put Miss Rachel on and it does help. Like she also has a background in speech pathology. She started the, doing this because her own son was like struggling with some development. It all comes from such a wonderful, good place. It's, it's the thing, like, I think pediatricians have said, yes, this actually is good for development. Can you say mama? I mean, bops on bops on (laughs) bops. We love Miss Rachel here.
1: <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, she's great. And it's not like overstimulating for the kids. No, it's wonderful. And it's, it, it's Jules wonderful. Jules is great
5: too. Jules is great too. Oh,
1: Jules is so... I, I love the pirate song that Jules does. Jules plays guitar. With the crab.
5: you know, Jules, like, like, Jules, 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 Jules is guitar. a talented musician.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Leave Jules alone. Okay. Alyssa, sanity corner or I
0: feel petty this week? Guys, I've got a sanity corner because I have never felt so seen... As I was by the episode, as I did by the episode of Succession last week. And I know everyone's talking about Succession, it's so much. But guys, every reference, I was like, back it up. They have turned Frank, they have turned Frank, wait, what's the other guy's name? Frank and Frank and the skinny neck man, Frank and Carl. Carl. They Carl. have turned Frank and Carl into Waldorf and Scatler yes. <laughs> talking <laughs> about feeling like Peking ducks hanging from a window in Chinatown. The, the conversation between Tom and Shiv, the earlobes the chewy earlobes that are like barnacle meat. I'm like, I can't keep it. When Matson is atop a mountain asking Roman and Kendall, if this is like Hanna-Barbera, like business school that they went to. So many people texted me. They're like, what's Hanna-Barbera business school? I was like, oh my God, you're too young. I was like, go watch some (laughs) Flintstones and come back to me. It was perfect. It was perfect. Perfect. I was giddy when I was done watching it. I'm like, I have to rewatch it because I'm sure I missed so much. Like, did I don't did think she so? Coke while pregnant. I don't think I she think was she drinking did. the drink. I don't. They think... didn't show it. Yeah. They didn't show. Yeah. It, no, she took a couple but, of but, like, like, not to the
4: drink. Sip. Yeah, but I'm sips. just
0: saying, mm-hmm. they're dancing all over the place, and it is incredible. I love when mm-hmm. they go on location. Mm-hmm. Give me more Norway all the time, and also having worked at Vice for my share of years, Madsen is the most iconic composite of a tech bro I have ever yes. seen. Yes, It is, oh, he's like got his I'm man of the earth, fall raven, whatever, but he won't, but he has like the most expensive mattress in the world. It is perfect. And when he's just like, yeah, it's cool, but I don't know, maybe it's shit. It's like, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> this is, and the, the blood. blood. And the blood. The, the blood bridge. breaks over oh so to <laughs> in the blood to the comms director. Poor Ebba. I was literally in heaven watching that episode. It was the pinnacle of straight entertainment. I was utterly entertained. It was wonderful. It was fucking wonderful. I'm I'm also going to say that (laughs) that there's like, that's our oh, point right there. That is, right <laughs> is my, um, you know what? That's my, that's what I am horny for, okay? <laughs> I am horny for Succession. I love that, Matt. Uh, all of them, I'm like, oh my God. Even my husband's like, I'll let you watch Succession. I'll be back later. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys, we cracked the code. Now we know what makes me horny. <laughs> The blood bricks thing, I
1: thought, was a really kind of, I mean, I don't know if they intended this, but it was a really good kind of counter argument for that thing that that guys who suck always say, like, oh, it's not sexual harassment if he's hot. It's like, yes, it is. If Alexander Skarsgård is sending me bricks of blood and I work for him and I don't want the bricks of blood, it is sexual harassment. And and, and Ebba did not deserve that. Poor thing. And who would want the bricks of blood? Who wants that? Maybe (laughs) if you're just building a goth igloo, you would want the bricks of blood. (laughs) I don't know Um, Megan you get to go last sanity corner or I feel petty
5: sanity. Somebody put NBA playoffs in the suggestions and I took the bait. I'm guessing it was Caroline. That was me. That was me. Oh, okay. Because I was like, oh, Carolyn is on her real Warriors podium right now. Um, Her her (laughs) Warriors are the defending champions. Um, They are in a series tied with the Sacramento Kings who have not been to the playoffs in 17 years. So very excited for that fan base. The Lakers, I mean, it just, the NBA playoffs, if you, It's also the NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs right now, and people say that is the best playoffs in sports. If you're just like, let me dip my toe in. There's so many games happening right now because it's mostly the first round. There's a guy whose name is Dylan the Villain Brooks, and he's got (laughs) wild hair, and I can't figure out if he has acne scars. Um, There's just a lot of really fun things happening. Jimmy Butler, who is... I do think a strong feminist scored fifty-six points the other night. Giannis, my my hero is injured but playing and on the verge of being eliminated. And you can definitely skip some of the teams. The Denver Nuggets, they do nothing for me. I I hate the Nuggets. They're so boring. I guess the one exciting thing is they have a star who accidentally went live while he was getting a blowjob from his girlfriend, but that was like four (laughs) years ago. But every time (laughs) they show him, I go, oh, my God, I hope they're still together. Uh, Um. (laughs) The Suns are kind of like a super team of villains right now. I do know. What about Devin Booker? He's fun. Um, I am not a Devin Booker fan. There's so much Kardashians around him oh, yeah. that I tend to go, I don't know. I do like Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul is like, you know, fine. I And, and Kevin Durant. I love Kevin Durant's mom and she sits courtside and, and she's an icon. Uh, <laughs> this is a Lakers house and, and this is a Bucks house. So... The Knicks are, if you are in New York, you have seen, the streets have been packed. Knicks fans are acting like they are winning the championship every single night. It is so funny. <laughs> and I think they may be able to execute James Dolan. Like, it's like they are going to <laughs> overcome the most evil owner left in sports um, now that Dan Snyder is out. So, yeah, NBA playoffs, it's truly fun. Get, turn it out the fourth quarter. I'm not even saying you got Just tap in, tap out. <laughs> I, I hate to go there. A lot of hunks, um, a lot of hunks, a lot of a lot of bodies, a lot of cool tattoos, lots of kids, such cute kids. We getting we're getting kids at press, we're getting kids after the game, we're getting kids on TikTok seeing their daddies play. So it's a good it's a good time.
1: Oh, I got to pour one out for the Timberwolves who did get one win off against the
5: Nuggets, even though they were an eight. Yeah. seed. No, think- they're a mess. They're a mess. I this is a big Anthony Edwards house. We. Love him. Mm-hmm. Kat Cat lost seven family members in COVID. So he's like just a a hero for for life for what he's been through. They gotta get it together, Aaron. You need to like send them a cameo on, <laughs> because they are they they just they're it's a bunch of like sort of children running running the show there. But I do love them. They gave up too much for Rudy Gobert and now they're kind of suffering those consequences though.
1: But yes, the NBA playoffs are fun. They're like, you don't even have to follow basketball during the regular season, although the payoff is more if you do. You can just tune in for the playoffs. It's so, so fun. Megan, I'm glad you picked that one. That was bait, and you took it. I took it. And we all benefited as a result. All right, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Hysteria. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. Per usual, thank you, Jennifer Romolini, for stopping by and talking about Stift and the female gaze. Megan Gailey, thank you for being one of Hysteria's MVPs. Thank you to Idaho Representative Lauren Necochea for fighting the good fight, even when it feels hard to impossible. Listeners, you're amazing. We love you. Thank you so much. And there will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. The show is engineered and edited by Jordan Cantor. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot.
4: You can host the best backyard barbecue.